Hi everyone, um, thanks for joining. We're just going to wait for some minutes um, for people to join and for the person speaking today to join as well. Thank you. Uh, hi everyone. Um, sorry for the delay. Waiting for Raymond to join. Um, yeah, I'll add him soon.
Cool. Uh, hey, Raymond. Hi, how you doing? I'm good. Um, thanks for joining. So I think we'll just be like a minute more and then um, start. Okay. Cool, thanks. Okay, cool. So I think we can start now. Um, so, hi everyone. Um, welcome to the third, I think, conversation of the year. Um, so today I have um, with me Raymond. So Raymond is the CTO of a company, a Nigerian company called Convoy. Um, and Convoy basically is a webhook service. Um, so yeah, I would allow like Raymond introduce like what convoy is and you know the problem they're trying to solve and we'll go from there okay um hi guys <clears throat> my name is raymond um i'm a cto of convoy that's guest convoy io um so basically the problem or how or why this product exists is because um i used to work in fintech and my co-founders used to work in fintech and we used to integrate a lot of um APIs, the third-party APIs, and those guys used to give us webhooks. And we used to build webhooks for other people. So we're basically plumbing the internet. We're sending HTTP requests from here, there, and um, while working in other companies and switching companies, we realized that we're doing the same work over and over again. And then even integrating different third-party services, we had to like rebuild the same we rebuild the same system all over again. And then um, Shubomi, which is my founder, was like, why, why isn't there like a... I mean, the same way we have like Redis or the same way we have like Loki and other tools. Redis for like caching and Loki for like login and other tools. Like why, why isn't there something for, for webhooks? I mean, there are some tools out there, but there's no like real open source one that has all the batteries included. And that's where, and that's what we started working on. So basically, Convoy is like a silver bullet for webhooks. You can receive webhooks. You can send webhooks using Convoy. Um, so if you think of... So let, let me paint some scenarios. So um, let's say... Okay, I mean, I don't know if everybody's really familiar, but then I would use, like, I would use different examples. So let's say you had, you had um, a Stripe integration or a Flutterwave integration and... Um, you want to integrate either Stripes or Flutterwave's webhooks, what you do is you put your normal callback URL in Flutterwave and then Flutterwave or Stripe and Stripe will send a response to you or whatever. But then if you're not using Flutterwave or if you're not using Stripe, which is relatively reliable, 
and there is maybe flutter with them. I mean, there's no shade to anybody, but like realistically, there have been issues in the past where maybe like payload changes and other things. When flutter wave sends, maybe there's a change in the API and um, an uncommunicated change, your own integrations will break. So what you what we what you can do is you can send your webbooks to convoy, then convoy can clean up your webbooks, your your payloads, and send them to you. On, I mean, on the flip side, you could also build that yourself, but then what, we, what we've done is we've made the code open source. So we are like OSS first and cloud second-ish. <laughs> when I say okay. ish, I mean, we are, still, we, are still, we are still figuring out the cloud part, but we are OSS first. So you can run the code, you can get the code yourself, you can host, you can deploy it free of charge. Like we don't, the only thing you can't do is run the, um, run the platform and collect money for it. And then... The second scenario is you want to send webbooks to like Paystack or Flutterwave or Stripe, or you want to you are an, you are an API or you are building an API company and you want to send webbooks to your own customers. Then that is the first. That, I mean that's the best use case for for, for Convoy. You can um, your customers can create applications or they can create like integrations for their for themselves. It will look like I mean yeah, they can create integrations for themselves and then they will now um, you will now send webbooks to them. And you, they, you can even give them like the URL to like for self-service. So that way, they don't have to be coming to you to ask, oh, what's wrong with my deployments? And they can see, they can debug, they can see all their webbooks that they've sent, that, that they've been sent. They can debug, they will have login, they will have access to the login and all those things. That way you can, um, you can easily resolve disputes. So these things like, these are things that we've been able to solve for our own customers in production, that, that are in production on our cloud. Um, they've been able to like, the, the time to the time for um, issue resolution has been reduced because normally what they will have what they will have them, what they have to do is they will have to enter their logs maybe their login infrastructure to go and look for where the where the event was sent but now they can just search on convoy um, then there's also things like um, um, replay attacks where people try to like game your system they will send they will use a webbook that was sent before and they will send it back to you again but we we check the header we like has the header and we hash the time was sent, and we like we do all those things for you, and all those batteries are included, and there are also the other things. Then even things like um, exponential retries, number of retries. Then like I said yeah, so there are some other things that there are some other there are some other really cool features that we built, and that we are going to build eventually. But like I said it's all open source, so yeah. Right. Thanks for uh, that's a cool introduction. Um, I wanted us to start a bit better though. Um, what is a webhook? Um, okay. You know, for the people that don't know, and why why are webhooks important? Okay. Um. What is a webhook? Huh. Mm, I mean, on the on the surface level, webhooks are basically just HTTP requests that are sent when they are basically HTTP requests, and they are sent when asynchronous um processing of information are or yeah asynchronous processing of information are done. So I want let's let me give you a really good scenario. You want to pay for something with your card, with your debit card, or your credit card. Um, your bank sends the ATM machine sends a sends a request to your bank or your credit card company. Your credit card company sends a webbook back to your back to the ATM or to the the um, the company that is going to process the payments. And then you get your you you get your like you basically get oh approved or not approved. So depending on if there was no, I mean normally what you do is you send a request and you wait for a response. But then mm -hmm. because that's not very 
viable in, in at scale. You can't really be waiting for a response. There may be billions of requests coming at the same time. So what happens is that you send a request, your request is locked. There's a batch job that's a process or that is running in the background. And whenever that's done, you have a callback URL or a webhook URL. And whenever that's done, you send a webhook URL with the session ID. Um, and you and you bet the ATM machine basically says, oh yeah, this is um, your transaction has been approved or declined. So I mean, in a nutshell, that's how webhooks work. Yeah. So um, j- just like so, I'm understanding the. So, for example, like a Flutterwave or a Paystack, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. Um, if I wanted, like, I built an app that wanted to receive payments from people, yes. I would send a request to, like, Paystack, for example, and then I would have registered a callback URL, Paystack, yeah. and then Paystack would um, send me a webhook later. So, do I call that a webhook or... Yes, they will send a webhook, yes. Right, so they will send me a webhook later like to tell me about the status of my um, transaction. So yeah. in, th- in this case, it means Paystack owns the webhook, right? In this case, no, Paystack does not own the webhook. So, in, so the way, if you are the one, if you are, if you are creating like a, a payments product, you will not be yeah. the one to initiate the payments, to initiate the request to Paystack. The, the um, payments will be initiated from probably your website's Right. So yeah. So and Paystack could probably talk to InterSwitch or whatever switching company is doing the um whatever switching company owns the card. Right. Yeah. Then they then whenever the payment is succeeded, whenever the payments are succeeded or um or it was not approved, Paystack will now send you a webhook with the status of the transaction. Right. So my my question here is: so if I think about, so do I think of a webhook as a request? Or as a an API of some form, or as I don't know, what do I think of a webhook as and as and who who owns it? Hmm. Who owns a webhook? Yeah, like because if I think about like I'm I'm trying to draw parallels here between like a webhook and a um, sync API, right? So like I make a, an API request and yeah, I'm waiting for the request to be returned, right? Mm-hmm. So I I call an API. So let's say I call Paystack. Let's in this scenario, let's just say I'm calling Paystack and they send me a request immediately. Yeah. So Paystack owns that API that I'm calling, right? So I send them the request and then they send me a response telling me, like based on the like the payload I've sent, this is this is you know the response I'm getting. Yeah. Now if I'm not waiting for a request, but I make a request to Paystack, so I, I call Paystack. I call like an API from Paystack. But I'm not getting a response immediately. And later, Paystack sends me a, like, they, you know, trigger some, um, they, they send me, like, a webhook later on. Um, doesn't that mean that Paystack owns the webhook? Yes, they yes they own it. But then on your own side, you should be, there's, like, an SLA between you and Paystack that you acknowledge immediately. You won't so I'd be able any... to, like, I would be able to, I need to be able to respond to their request, basically. Yes, immediately. Yeah, so you won't block right. because they'll be sending more, they'll be sending a lot of um, webhooks. Right. Okay, cool. That sounds good. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, yeah, good, good to, like, get that down and to understand what a webhook is. And so you described, um, you know, how Convoy comes in and there were two scenarios that you kind of painted. In one scenario, you said that, you know, let's say someone, like, they come in like Flutterwave, um, 
you know, sends, they're sending like a payload um, with their own like webhook at some point, and then they change it um, without telling anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that Convoy can clean up the payload. How does that work? Well, uh, that that was actually very very recent. So we have them um, something called an ingester, basically. Um, not basically, actually. Sorry, I'm used to using that word. So we have something called an ingester. An ingester basically, t- <laughs> I'm using basically again. Ingester takes in fine. takes in webhooks and cleans them up. So basically, you can clean. Oh God, whatever. You can clean them up and resend them to your own system internally. So it's like an edge. It should be like an edge. Um, an edge service. Right. Yeah. So, who, so you can. Who, who like um, like how does he know the the cleaning logic? Like, do I provide? Oh the yeah, logic we system? are we are we are like writing um transformers. That's what we're going to call them. And um, that's okay. what that's what like that's what we are working on next week or two weeks from now. So they we call them transformers. So basically, okay. um, when you receive a webhook from the ingester service, that you can also deploy yourself. It's a Google Cloud function. Um, when you receive webhooks, you can rewrite a transformer. The transformer will basically mutates data before it sends, sends it to Convoy. When it sends it to Convoy, Convoy just resends it back to you. Right. So I'm the one. So like in this case, there's Flutterwave and there's me, the user. Yes. Yes. So I want to be able to ensure that no matter what Flutterwave sends, I'm getting the same payload. Yeah, exactly. So you're saying that I would write some code and we we'll call it a transformer in space. Yes. And you know this transformer is connected to Convoy's ingester. Yeah, which so convert just that uses that logic to clean up the um, yeah. the the payload coming in. Okay, cool. Yes, sounds interesting. Um, so like, take me through like high level like architecture for convoy. Like, how does it work? Um, you know, how did it work initially? Like, if okay, you know, it was is different today. So, how did it work initially, and how does it work today? And um, you know, why has it changed? Okay, so um, initially, convoy was a single. Was like was it? I mean, we so we use Go and we um we are shipping like the main the main um binaries. I mean the main executable is a single binary. So and then like that was last year November. It had just a single entry point, which was just the Convoy server, and the Convoy server was just a um Go server that had endpoints, and it also ran. And it also spawned up go routines. Those go routines were the workers. They were the guys doing the dispatching. Um, so when Convoy receives events from the HTTP server, it will put it on the Redis queue. That's it. We use them Redis queue, and they use a library called Task queue. I mean, that's really that's the name of the library, Task queue. And Task queue, we just Task queue registers the handler and just puts them on go routines, and those go routines dispatch do the dispatch. And that's how it was built. Then it was very very closely knit so it was very very hard to scale if you wanted to scale you need to scale up the whole thing and it was i mean it worked well for his use case because we had just one customer that was helping uh, was and we just did a poc like it really worked for that use case but then when we started then the the floor started to show when we had like a customer with very large really large events per day like they did like about uh, a million events per day and we're like, oh no, this is not going to work. Like every day, we just we just to crash, and we didn't to sleep. Like we didn't to sleep, so we're like, no, this this is not going to work. So we had to like split it up into. So I mean, that's the way it worked before. Like everything was like every everything was just joined together, and as I was before, then we started splitting it up. We split up okay. the server. 
sorry, before we go to the, the split up, um, I kind of okay. want to like make sure that we are like we understand the current architecture. So there was one, um, you know, binary deployed, and yeah. um, there was one entry point, you know, into this binary. So this this mm -hmm. was called like convoy server. Um, so this server had endpoints, right? But you said the yeah. server also spun up Go routines. Yes, that was spun up Go routines. So there was like a there's like a part there I, I don't really understand. So there is um you mentioned some like a library called Taskq and how yes, Taskq Taskq registers a handler and you know yeah it it's it passes um events to the Go routines or something. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of be like I mean simplify that um like that okay. flow. So from you know how do events get added to Taskq for example? How do okay. events get read from task? I don't know if that's correct English, but how do they get read from task queue? And then, um, yeah, like how do they get passed on to, you know? Okay. So what, okay. So you receive, whenever you send, whenever someone sends an event to, to Convoy, the first thing that happens is we create the event itself. That's the events in the database. Then we create an event delivery. The event delivery it's um, the event is just a record of the events so that we can so if there's a failure somewhere we can redo things so we can try, we try things and that's what you see on your dashboard then the event delivery is um is the record that tracks how many times we've tried or basically just tracks the the attempts for a particular event or for a particular webhook so when the event delivery is created the event delivery is queued is put on the queue so the queue is what we, we use redis we use redis streams and redis z sets so we use the streams for because the streams are like a first in first out data structure. We use their sets because they are an ordered um an ordered they we they are ordered by time. Well that's what we we order them by time. Um so task queue abstracts the task queue abstracts and putting items on the queue on the ready stream, removing items from the ready stream, putting items on the Z set and removing items from the Z sets for us. Like that's what task queue did. So task queue is a library that's allows us allowed us them do that. I mean, we are we are already moving task queue in favor of our own implementation, but that's what task queue did them um, does. So you receive the webhook, um, the messages, the event delivery information is sent to task queue. Task queue puts that on the registry, and um, task queue has workers. Um, workers they are called workers in quotes. Workers creates go routines. So basically, um, and there's a handler like in code in on on the in the repo that is that task you has registered and whenever there's a new message or whenever a message is removed from the registry um it basically just invokes or it basically just dis dispatches the webhook information to the to the um, endpoint url and it updates the event delivery information to um in um to processing and if it fails it will it will retry number of times that you've configured if it doesn't fail or if it succeeds, um, then it's not market that success, and it's not be put back on the queue. Then yeah, so that's how I mean that's the end-to-end -end flow. Initially. Okay, so then. question: the task queue is this like so? Where does like the where, where does the task queue code um, task queue code live? It does it live in the convoy server? Oh yes, live in the convoy server. Right. So the convoy server has an endpoint that receives events. Yes. So when the endpoint receives events, then you add. Um, you use TaskQ's library to add those events to your registry and Z sets. 
Yes, 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 yes. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, how has it changed today? And you, you mentioned that you're removing task queue. You know, why are you doing that? Um, um, yeah. Okay, so we are, we are removing task queue because there are certain limitations that task queue has that we don't want. So the first limitation is... Um, Task you acknowledges messages automatically, and we don't really we didn't really want that because we want to be able to control how we acknowledge messages. Um, I come from a very um, AMQP zero nine one background, so I prefer being able to like I prefer having um I prefer having autonomy over how I acknowledge messages. And the thing is, we don't want to also bundle things like RabbitMQ or Kafka into one board because your infrastructure may not depend on RabbitMQ or Kafka. But we want to give you something that works in the same like that works. Like how RabbitMQ and RabbitMQ of Kaka works, um, wants to be able to give you the producer-consumer um, environment that you are used to, but with something like with as Redis. Um, then I mean, also you may not be, you may not want to use Google PopSub, you may not want to use SQS. You get and yeah, it doesn't really make sense to like force um, dependencies on you when you are um, trying to choose a tool. If a tool has too many dependencies, then it doesn't really make sense. So as to why, um, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we are not even using TaskU anymore. And also because we didn't understand how TaskU works. We went through the code a lot. And after reading the code, we just realized that, nah, this is not the tool for us. And then, yeah. But we still want to use Redis. Like, Redis has been really, really good. And it's really lightweight and cheap. So, right. yeah. Um, so, so what changed in Convoy was... Um, we started decoupling things. Like we just we started realizing that okay, we cannot just keep spinning up, um, spinning up new servers. So we're using GCP initially, and our servers every time we had like we had like ten, we had like ten VMs running Convoy that were all load balanced, and that's how that's how we're running Convoy. Then yeah. I was like, now nah, this is too expensive because even though we had credits, I was looking at the press. I was like, no, this is like this is not sustainable. Um, so, um, what I did was, or what we did was to Split it up. So now Convoy now runs in server. So there's a as okay, Convoy has a CLI. So the CLI is also the main entry point. So when you want to actually spin up the spin up the process, you just run convoy server and start the server. If you run convoy worker, you no, know, if you run convoy server, you start the server and the worker together. But if you run convoy server with some arguments, it's not just start just the HTTP um server. So you can now run convoy server, convoy worker, and convoy retrier. Retrier just retries stuff. So the retry like retries based on um retry retries statuses. Actually, no, retry just retries. Retries um events that are not succeeded or failed. So every every other thing just keeps retrying them. And it retries them like 30 minutes interval or whatever it sets. And that's how we've like split it up today. So you can now like horizontally, you can now scale each one um separately. And um when I was and initially we could not actually not actually which is actually is actually sad. We cannot process Convoy could not process more than three hundred requests per second. Which was I mean three hundred requests I was even pushing it because it used to feel like after once 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 it gets past hundred, Convoy just starts like just starts dropping requests and you start seeing like abysmal abysmal um um response times but now we can reliably handle 1000 requests per second like after we split it once you run um once you run it in like microservice mode which is the you run every each each of them separately it can right. it's can now like um it can process at least at least a thousand requ requests per second i've been trying to like push the limits I've, I've been tweeting about how people do benchmarking and i'm like oh my god this is actually really, really crazy like because yeah. i didn't know i had no idea <laughs> 
I was in for a shock. I started learning about histograms and all that. Right. Like, wow. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's, when, that's when you mentioned histograms are actually meant to be um, the next conversation for systems then. But yeah, that's that's kind of a tangential conversation. But I, I have like a question here. Like, how did you, like, why do you think the, um, like, splitting up, you know, the different modules like increase the number of requests that Convoy could handle by so much? Like, why, why do you think that happened? Okay, the first one was, um, well, hmm. So the thing is, I'm not a, I'm not a very smart person by definition. But <laughs> oh, no, for I mean, I, I don't want to bore, I don't, I don't want to bore anybody. I don't want to bore myself too. So it's just I processing like when you are when you are processing things in one like when if you if you give a process too much to handle. I mean, that, now that's it. Now there's only there's only so much one process can handle. Right. And if you would if you deferred work to another process, obviously things will be faster. So what was what what used to happen was that um, we used to write. So in the initial, in the previous version of Convoy, like, let's say like 0.3, that was released from January. Um, right. We used to, in the event handler, we used to write directly to the database. Right. In the event handler. So you create an event. What will happen is um, Convoy will write, Convoy will write, Convoy will read group information or project information. Convoy will read application information. Convoy will write event delivery. Convoy will write um, data um, events, event data. So, so that's read, read, write, write. Four, four database operations. So imagine 300 database operations happening, 300 times four happening every second. Or imagine mm -hmm. 1,000 times four happening every second. And right. you are using like a, I mean, your IOPS will be so high and your, your, cloud, your cloud database will probably just die. I mean, we right. had, our production database was always giving us this, um, Socket connection timeouts thing, or too many hand, too many file downloads open, and busy. It's just be dropping requests. So what right. what happened was that um, we obviously when we were using caching initially, we didn't even have indexes, so we added indexes, we added caching. Like those reads, we're not even reading from DB anymore. The writes, we're not. So we stopped writing to the database directly. What we did is wrote to task, we wrote to the queue. Then there are now two workers. The worker for creating events and event deliveries, and the worker for actually dispatching. So that way, you receive immediately you receive a, a, an event. You are acknowledging it as fast as possible. Then you are doing the work in the background. So that way, that's one. That's actually the reason why it became faster. Like that's the reason it became faster. I don't know yeah, any. I, I feel like the, <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that's the answer. To be to be honest, um, um, and I think there are like many layers to this. And I mean, I want to kind of say it again for you know, for, for everyone. And please correct me if, like, I'm missing something. So Convoy um, initially was, you know, one single, like, binary, one single entry. Um, yeah. When you wanted to, you know, when, like, an event was sent to Convoy, Convoy needed to create that event, write to the database, read the event yep. from the database, create, like, an event delivery um, entry as well, read the event delivery entry. And so on and so forth, and you know this was for every event that was sent. So if you know you're sending, you know, I don't know, hundred events per per second, this is like hundred times four reads, for example. Yes, yes. And something that I mean, this is also kind of a build up to the conversation from the last time we were here. Um, so it's like Emmanuel 
Bakari was was on here and he spoke about you know databases and we spoke about um, IOPS on on servers. So servers have like a a limit to the amount of input and output operations that you can perform per second. This is just like a yep. a, a hardware limit, right? Um, I mean, there are different ways you can kind of get that number, um, and there are different ways you can kind of monitor like how many. Um, like what, what these numbers are like per second, right? Um, and so if you, you know, begin to reach that limit, you, know, you begin to see the, the socket IO error thing that you were talking about um, a lot yeah. in, your, in your logs. And so um, what you said was that, you know, after like, you know, that kind of happened over a while, you split, you now split um, Convoy up into multiple services for different things. So the server was a banner in itself, the worker is a banner in itself, the retry is a banner in itself. Yeah. And so um you have workers that you know you know like create events and save them to DB, read them and like create event deliveries. You have servers that you know handle um what did the servers handle exactly actually? So this the server is just the HTTP servers and it's also for the UI. So when you are rendering the UI Right. So the yes. server like receives the request and write, writes to the queue. And yeah. the server also responds to requests for the UI. Right. That makes yeah. sense. So like splitting this up kind of split up the number of I like I operations that the one binary convoy was was deploying before it was handling, split it up into you know different different That's binaries. Three, yeah, three different places. And you know, each of these like binaries would be deployed in, in their own containers, I guess. And their own containers yeah. would have their own resources. Yeah, exactly. Um, like yeah, that they can use to whatever limits they want, and this can also be deployed. Um, like you can have multiple instances as well. Yeah. So this is, I would say, this is like a practical application of horizontal scaling. You know, for people that have kind of been following conversations. Um, so like practical, practical example of horizontal scaling, where you know you you can deploy like multiple instances of a binary to um, um, increase like the amount of um operations you can you can handle so yeah thank you like this this was cool um that was i mean that was actually like the answer so um you mentioned indexes at some point in yeah in your conversation so i want you to talk to us like what where did you put indexes why did you put indexes Do okay indexes so today? oh yeah they are done they say yeah so um Initially, there were no indexes because obviously there, there was no there were no customers, so nobody was even using it, and we could obviously <laughs> not even test. We could obviously not even break break it. But um, there was a customer that now like the same customer that broke it, and so where the way we query when we query um events, the event deliveries. I mean, event deliveries are really that really break that broke it. So event deliveries are queried by status and um the group ID. Or the, the application, the application ID and the group ID. Actually, the application ID, the group ID, the status, those three, those three um, fields form a compound compound index. And okay. we did not initially, we did not, um, we did not index those. Then also, we are using MongoDB. I mean, if I look back, I would actually just use Postgres. But then there is no shit to MongoDB. MongoDB is a very good database. It, like it does its work well. I mean, we've 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 actually enjoyed it, but. I would probably not use it if I was doing this all over again. Um, yeah, so um, 
we had like what we were doing before was when we, when we when we were querying for um events we used to check events that were not whenever I use a negative um whenever I use a negative um query whenever I use negative in it like when you not equals to in mongodb right. mm-hmm. the index doesn't catch it like it doesn't catch it. so you what you i mean you can actually just check it yourself you can create a compound you can have whatever model you have create a compound index then search using nots you when you do a um explain for that particular query you see that the it actually doesn't use the index it just uses it does a full collection scan and if you have like 10 million records or whatever you actually do full collection scan for that 10 million records so we actually started now looking at the queries and okay what do we need what do we exactly need here and if we need more than one thing we do the query one by one so that way we're not or uh, yeah that way we're not um doing we're not saying not equals to x or not equals to y because we're using go there's no easy way to just do not equals to and put an array. I mean, I mean, I, I miss Node.js, but <laughs> 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 I miss Node, but yeah, you, you cannot have your, you cannot eat your cake and have it. So um, we added queries for like, um, for the place, the place that really needed the queries was the handler for dispatching events. So that was where we needed the queries because what we used to do was the handler was supposed to be a separate guy and because it was running in the go routine. So the go routine had no access to the server itself. So whenever the go routine spawned up, the go routine was the what, what, it basically checks everything again. What group does this belong to? What um application does this belong to? And what um and um so it, it checks things like oh is the does the group exist? Does the application exist? Is the application disabled? Is the endpoint bad? So the endpoints can go bad if you keep sending requests to it and you keep getting a 400 or you keep getting a non-desirable response. We disable the endpoint automatically. So that way, you don't keep sending, like we don't waste resources. Your bill doesn't go up or yeah. you don't just keep bombarding someone's um, server unnecessarily and obviously the thing is bad. Um, and we send you Slack messages or an email today. You can just yeah. you can configure down or you can deploy it like when you, if you deploy your own version of convoy you can configure all those things um then yeah so it checks it, it checks all those things check if checks if the endpoint is healthy if then the endpoint is healthy then it now actually now gets the information of the endpoints and now dispatches and dispatches so imagine that's happening if you have like and you know the way um all these you know the way workers you know the way the workers are when messages are in the queue they just keep they just keep sending they just keep working that's a very weird way to say it. <laughs> they, like, they just keep processing, they just keep reading the DB, and the DB yeah. will just keep like, how far? Yeah. Stop, stop, um, use, stop, use index, use index. Like, we, yeah. what we, what we did, all we needed to do was me and Shubomi just went to MongoDB Atlas. We went went to real time, and we just, we saw the rubbish that we were doing. The thing was 100%. We were scaling up. We reached M50. It was just, it was just reaching 100%. We're like, nah, this is not very sustainable. Every, all of us just entered the, Slack huddle, and we spent the next the I think the next two three days like finding all the places that we that we needed index and started adding the index and someone just opened the PR and made the PR. Then so how did how did you how did you like what what determined? Um, so I'm guessing like MongoDB Atlas is a way to analyze like some U, some UI. You can yeah, they have a they have a profiler and they have a like a real time um, graph, so you can see this. You can see slow indexes. Then then if you suspect an index, if you suspect the query is slow, you can always do an explain. Right. Okay. Cool. And so how did you determine? I mean, I guess like 
how do you determine like what what like I guess column needed an index here? So whenever we decide, whenever we like we look at the hot parts of convoy, like mm-hmm. the parts that and the basically the all the hot parts. So the hot parts were the dashboard um the dashboard um API. The dashboard API was doing an aggregation of all the initially it was doing an aggregation of all the um all the events, all the event deliveries that's that a that a particular application um, group or a company had sent from the day day from the first day to the last day. And that right. was not uh, that really makes sense. So we reduced to one month. Okay, then wait, after so, reduced before, to one month, it was still slow. What? Sorry, sorry, before we go on, um I think you're using terms that like people might not be familiar with. Okay, so, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. I I I kind of have um I mean, I've gone through like some some convoy docs, and I just want to like give some definition for context, I guess, to people. So, a group on convoy is a like a company. Am I correct? Is this is yes, this yes, yes. Right. So, a group would be like a company that signs up to convoy, like Paystack, for example, in this case, or Flutterwave or something. Um, and an application is um an application that a company provides that sends webhooks. So. Paystack, um, I feel like Paystack's service is Paystack as well. I don't know if that's yeah, Paystack, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, <laughs> Paystack is a company, so that would be the name of the group. But then there's a yeah. Paystack service that also, like, um, sends webhooks for, like, payments and stuff. So, um, um, maybe maybe Bycoin is a better example. So, Bycoin oh, is... Oh, like, oh, oh, oh. Sorry? Okay. Let me see if I can define it. So, if you want to... So ideally, what the what groups are? Groups are not really companies, unless you're using the cloud, which is a different thing. Groups are like projects. Okay. So you can have, um, you can have whatever. If let's say my name of my startup is X Y Z, you can have X Y Z Dev as one group, and X Y Z Dev, X Y Z Prod as another group. Okay. You can have, so you can also have X Y Z and have X Y Z Dev as an application, and X Y Z Dev, X Y Z Prod as an application. So it depends. Okay. It's just it's just the it's just a way to scope. It's just a way to allow people easily scope what they want. So we what just want, right. we added okay. because initially they were only applications, but then we we're like, okay, what if people want to scope how they want to scope? So so what what some people do? What some people that have deployed um, on their own do? And like this is speaking from um, experiences that they just have the dev and prod on the same instance. They don't have to spin up dev and prod separately. So they just use two different groups, staging, production, two different groups. Then yeah. all the staging is on one side. So that's why you know the way Pistar gives you the keys and the keys are in one instance. They don't, you don't have to go to dev.staging.com or dev.pistar.com and production is better.com. You, you, everything is on one place. So the group is it's just a way of scoping it. So when I say company, actually, I think I'm the one that's even making, um, confusing guys. So there are groups and the applications. The groups and applications, the applications are the, are the real deal. The groups are just a way of allowing you easily scope things to like maybe a dev environment or a team, a particular team. So if this team will have mm-hmm. a this team can own a particular group and another team can own another group. Okay. Yeah, it's like namespaces in Kubernetes. So right. Okay, cool. So a um a group is just like some like conceptual way to group things, like group applications yes. together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay, so I guess yeah, you can continue. So with that like on the sign of groups and applications, I think I think what you, what you were saying before was sorry, there's some background noise. Yeah, there's a thunderstorm is about to start here. So I'm trying to Oh okay, sorry. 
Okay, so where was I? Okay, I was explaining why. Okay, I was explaining why we added those indexes the way we added them. So yeah, I yeah. mean, we had to check all those things, and um, that was what was making the thing slow. Uh, right. So I, I mean, in a way, it was good because we didn't we didn't prematurely optimize, but then we cost we cost the particular company a certain amount of <laughs> money because they, they they were not able to. They were not able to fulfill their own SLE with their own customers, so yeah. Right. Okay. I mean, I, I don't want to get into that on the call. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get into that. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so how does... Um, you, you, you mentioned something earlier. So you said that, Convoy, people that some people deploy Convoy on their own, and there's also yeah. a cloud, cloud version of Convoy. So yes. can you explain, like, you know, why... Like, how does that work? And why is it possible to deploy Convoy yourself? Okay, so Convoy is open source first. Like that's what we focus on. We are trying to be like, I mean, we are we are following Loki, Grafana. We're following like Grafana, Loki, Redis, like how they run, they had, how they run their own business model. So they were right. very open source first, and then some years later they started a cloud. But then, right. like if you look at today, like a lot of companies are actually going with that model. Um, companies like InfluxDB, QuestDB. Um, companies like um, uh, I mean, there are a few of there right now. There are a few of there are a few open source companies that, or there are a lot of open source companies that are the code is fully open source. You can deploy yourself, but then there's also a cloud version, a, a managed version that you that will just give you like the stress free. So imagine somebody running something like um, Kubernetes for those for those who run Kubernetes hmm. at work. You can run Kubernetes yourself, but we do we really do that. You can also run Redis yourself, but we really do that. You only do that locally. But like convoy, convoy is we are trying to build it in a way that you can actually do it yourself and not force the cloud version down your throat. For like Loki now or or metrics, Prometheus. You can deploy Prometheus yourself and it will work for all your needs. You don't really need the cloud version. You only need the cloud version if you are getting a ton of metrics and you don't want to be managing space yourself so okay. um and the the license we use like i said the license we use for our for our code is the mit version too you can deploy you can run it yourself you can modify it but you can't sell it you can't deploy and sell it so that, that's the only thing yeah i mean we cannot like we will not know that you are doing it but <laughs> when we find out that's the, exactly you get we cannot Cash know out. you are doing it yeah yeah okay that's cool um yeah that's like a, so how do you like how do you like handle support for people that deploy themselves oh we have a slack community we have a slack community uh let me find it let me find the invite link we have a slack community where people that people have deployed or people that want to deploy just ask questions and we help them before we used to do hands-on like um office hours and stuff but we don't have time <laughs> we don't do that anymore so yeah. we just answer questions on the we just answer questions on the community uh, let me look for the link. Okay. Cool. Um. Oh yeah, we used, we used to. So we have like a um, we have a monthly um release release cycle. We release on the twenty fifth of every month. Basically, everything that is ready goes out twenty fifth. Anything that is not ready goes to the next month. So and we we used to we used we do a um a meet up on the last Saturday of every month. So like if you really if you want to all. 
I don't wait. Actually, I think we cancelled that. We just send a newsletter now. I'm not really sure anymore. <laughs> yeah, because we realized that nobody was coming, and we all just talking to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But why why the twenty fifth? Like why not? Um. So twenty fifth, twenty fifth is like one month, a one month interval. So yeah, one month. Why, yeah, why, one why month. not shorter or longer? Well, 2050s, if you look at 2050s, two sprint cycles. So we just try to see how much we can get done in two sprint cycles. Because if okay. we release every sprint cycle, then we can't really test. So we right. stop writing code like 20. We stop writing code on the 23rd, use 24th to, to use 24th to test, then 25th by 12, we've released already. We've written the change log, we've released. So whatever feature has, go, has gone out, whatever feature is ready, it's ready. Whatever is not ready, it's not ready. Then we now support. So we still like we've still not figured out how we do the long-term supporting, but like currently Convo is on 0.5.2, but what we have on, on cloud is 0.4.22, I think. So we patched 0.4 22 times. Um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean that was when we were trying to figure out the indexes and all those other things. Yeah. Yeah, so like we patched it so many times. We patched yeah. it so many times. So like but it's 0.5 is more stable, like we've already patched it twice. And yeah. that was like a quality of life patch. It was not even a oh, this needs to go on no, 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 patch. Right. You you mentioned that um, so like one reason for I guess the interval is for testing. Like how does cover get tested today? Like what's that? Okay, what's that testing, like? testing, testing. So we have we have we do um integration test. We do unit and integration tests in the code base. We actually um we test per package, then we test per then we do integration test. So we test per package. As you do that unit tests, then we now do integration tests which need a database or libraries. So we do that on the CI. Um, and is that one is hidden behind the a build tag. So you can't just if you run it locally, you want those tests will not run. So that way it's not fail. Then we also have a tool called immune. Immune is like a is like a it's like end to end, it's also like end to end, but it's for front end. It basically just tests the critical pass of convoy. So basically you um, it tests that you can create a group, create an application, send an event, receive an event. As long as those ones don't fail, we know that. Um, because that's the most important part. Like, those, like that's the most important part of Convoy. And we, we also, but those are the tests that exist now. We, are, we will also add more tests. Um, as long as those, that flow works, then even if there's a bug, it's probably just a UI bug. Right. You get. So how, yeah, does, how, so, does, how does immune work? So like you need to like for convoy to test like end to end convoy right you need someone that is sending webhooks and you need someone that is receiving, yeah, the receiving yeah so, so immune runs the immune runs the http server inside it runs the fake http server that's and runs on port 80 like that's um that convoy can send to so we run convoy in the background then immune also spins up in ci then convoy sends then we now we register the um there's some weird, there's some weird code, there's some weird stuff that happens. So we register like certificates locally on the VM and then send um on lookouts and send um webhooks to that lookouts. Then it basically you mean just says, okay, this guy's giving me the callback and test pass. Okay. So and immune is also immune is also open source, so you can also check the code out. So yeah, I've shared the, for anyone interested, I shared it, I shared immune's code on it's like it is pinned to the what is this thing called? Yeah, the space. Thank yeah. You. Um. So, I I kind of want to like understand like immune a bit more. Um. 
So you said that immune spins up a server. So who is mm-hmm. the person that sends the webhook? Is it immune that sends the webhook? Yes, to... immune sends the webhook. So immune sends the webhook to convoy. Then convoy now sends. Um... The convoy now, like, so immune is like immune is like the recipients. Immune is both the sender and recipients. Right. Because we don't want like we're, the way we're thinking of doing it was like oh we'll spin up a stage a server a server somewhere that will be running and immune will be, and immune will be sending callbacks there. But then the idea is if that server goes down, our test will not pass. That doesn't make sense. You get <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So we just create a dummy server inside. It's just I mean it's just it's just a one. It's a very tiny. It's a very tiny server. Is and it's not even doesn't really do anything. Just to call just the callback. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. Sounds good. So let's see. What else What else should we talk about? Well, we're almost at the one-hour limit. Um, so talk to us about some like other features of, of um, Convoy. So I've seen that you, know, you, get, you oh. guys have rate limiting. You have... Yeah, so we have... Yeah, you, you have some... Let's see. So... Um, okay, rate limiting. Yeah, let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay, um, we export... So if you were if you want like if you want to deploy yourself, we export uh, metrics, so you can know how your um, convoy, so you can know how your deployment is doing. We export queue metrics and we also export um, events metrics. So queue metrics are basically how many things are in the queue, and with the knowledge of how many things being in the queue, you can know whether there's something wrong on your on your um, worker side. So if if things are not being removed from the queue, then there's a problem. I mean that has happened to us so many times. They were like. 60,000 things on the queue. And we're like, uh-uh. why are there 60,000 things on the queue? There should be nothing in the queue. Yeah. Queue should be empty. Yeah, so, and because we did not have, we did not have the most metrics. There was no observability, there were no graphs. We had no idea what we we're doing. Before, and you know, okay, I said before, we are running on GCP and um, Compute Engine. Right. And we had to, we had to literally SSH into, to see our logs. We had to SSH into those VMs to see, like, you now, you SSH into that run already CLI, they now actually see the queue metrics. So that was actually really nonsense. So we like, <laughs> we have to separate those layers completely. Yeah. And now we can now like see everything in Grafana. And you, I mean, if you, if you just, if you deploy yourself and go to um, localhost, whatever, V1 slash metrics, you'll see, you see queue metrics, you'll see um, ZZ metrics, you'll see the pending length metrics. Then you also see the scheduled events. So you can know how many events are being scheduled. How many events are in process and how many events are being retried? And basically, if any number is high, then there's something wrong. Along, if any number is high, there's something wrong. Right. Um, then you can. You, you mentioned that you didn't have um, observability, observability um, at some points. So, like, I mean, yes. if, you, if you were kind of going to redo it, would you like include observability earlier? If I was doing it again, yes. That would be one of the first things we had. Because we need to know everything right. that's we'll also add tracing. Because right now we don't have tracing. I'll have also added I also add tracing. So okay, there's so no tracing at all. Can you walk us through like the like how did you add observability to convoy? Like how, how does that work today? Oh. Okay, what we did, we used um we're using Prometheus. So we use them um, Promet they have a um they have a library that allows you to create gauges and um counters. So we use a counter. We use a counter. Is I mean, it's currently a counter that we use for. Um, no, sorry, it's a gauge that we use. We use a counter. We use a gauge. Today. What's the difference between a gauge and a counter? Then, a counter counts and, and adds up stuff. A gauge just takes in takes um, information at that point in time. 
we used the counter before, but they realized that we didn't want that because it was cumulative. It was giving us cumulative data. We didn't want a cumulative. We didn't want cumulative data, so we are using a gauge. So gauge just takes in point in time. So what kind of what kind of like inputs does a gauge take in? Is this like you know? Um, for the Q metrics, we are so we ha- we built a CLI that can talk to Redis and like we just we built a, built a CLI that can talk to talk to Redis and get the number of items on the queue on the stream uh-huh. because normally stream is unbounded. You can't really get the length. So we have to do some weird Redis magic to get to get the Q length. Okay. To get the Q to get the length in the stream. Then also the length in the Z sets. Then also the length in the, the there's a pending, there's a an array, a normal Redis array to get the pending length. Pending is like the it's still in the pipeline for moving to the Z sets to the to the Q. Okay. And depending on how Redis, depending on the Redis process, it may, it may take a while to like move. Um, then for the for the scheduled processing and retried events, we just have a we're just using normal database queries. Guess how many points in time? Guess how many points in time? That's what, that's what we're doing. I mean, those. I mean, I was thinking of doing some very weird hockey thing before, but it was not working. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. So, um, you use a gauge. The gauge takes in information about you know what is currently in a z set for example length of the stream using some black magic um and what's the last thing um yeah we just we guess the um we guess the events from others we get the, the other information from the key from the database from the database we just do scheduled events or counts status is scheduled is scheduled then they get the counts you also get the ones that are being retrieved get the counts okay um yeah that's how did you did you guys consider like any other like observability tools well because that's what we are used to i in my former workplace i use professor's grafana like i've always i don't know i've always used that one so well yeah okay i've always used i just good argument i just and i've i've deployed it myself so i know all the quirks and all the nonsense i know all the nonsense can pull okay. i don't want to go and, yeah i don't want to use a new tool and i will not be struggling with yeah okay so speed yeah okay that, that makes sense um that makes sense so i mean we we've kind of spoken about a lot of things um already and I want to like see if anyone has any questions right now. If people don't, then we can continue talking about more stuff for maybe like fifteen or twenty minutes and we'll call it today. But if people have questions, we can we can take them now. So, um, yeah, please uh, raise raise your hands if you if you want to ask a question. Thank you. Um, so I'll just give you like I don't know one minute maybe. <laughs> Okay, we have someone. I how do I accept this? Sorry. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So Emmanuel is on. I can hear you. Yeah. What's up? Okay. Cool. Cool. Yes. Um. Really nice presentation, by the way. Like, like engineering is actually super. Um, so, so let's ask a question earlier, like regarding like um, some of like the first things around like the open connection. Um, okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to like ask that. Um, so was there a reason why like you actually maxed out the total number of connections? 
Um, because like um, you said that you had a queue in between, so I'm guessing that would have probably buffered like processing. Is it like you created like a process for or a thread for every single incoming request? Or like or like how did it max out the total number of open connections? Like I just wanted to like um collect that. That was on the DB layer. Oh, on the DB. Okay. Yeah, on the DB, not ah no, not on the server. I wasn't with the do now. Okay. <laughs> on the DB layer. Okay. Yeah, on the DB layer. Okay. Okay, cool then. Okay, cool then. Is it that like the connections were not like pulled or like they were like or like no, they were pulled, but um I wish I can copy. I wish I can copy. I, I wish I copied the um ah, let me see if I can find the screenshot of my laptop. So it's a too many um socket timeouts, too many open connections. No, not no, it's not not too many open connections. Soccer timeout, too many open, um, some stupid, annoying MongoDB error. Is it like, no, because I know it doesn't have transactions. Because I know Postgres would complain if you have too many, like if you have conflicts in transactions. No, sorry, we don't even need, so like, we don't even need transactions because, um, no, actually, no, actually, wait, what am I saying? We actually need transactions. That was one thing I was even talking about on Friday. That's yeah, when we are creating events and event deliveries, we need to put them in a transaction. But this one was because we're we're um we're accessing the database too many too many times and the MongoDB was like nah fam, this is over your limits. Like this is over your limits. So it was throwing was giving us throwing us back this error. And we're like, okay, how do we without scaling up? Because what because what, what will happen is that the CPU will reach 100 percent CPU will reach 100 percent and that error will happen. So that database CPU itself, database CPU will reach 100% and we'll start getting an error. Then when we scale when we scale MongoDB Atlas up to a higher tier, the error will start happening. But then it's not eventually start again because we will also reach 100%. But then immediately we added indexes. There was no more error. That error stopped. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so it was just, I think it was, it, was a, it was a database error because we're using, we're using so much CPU. Okay. Oh, okay, cool then. So that one's to like, so, yeah. so like throttling then happened. Yeah, um, I mean, we felt really stupid to be honest because we're like, we should have added indexes from the beginning, but you don't know what you don't know, so you know. Yeah, <laughs> to be honest, we're like, there's like a lot of stuff in there. Okay, cool then. Yeah, yes, yeah, so that was the only one that I had. Let me not um, block others. Yes, really nice stuff again, Michael. All right, thank you. Thank yeah. you for the question. Good question. Um, Michael, someone else, Michael has a question. Okay, Um. yeah. So, Thanks, but I, I was going through your notes and then I, I saw that you mentioned you were able to 10x your capacity. So I was kind of wondering how much of that do you think was because of the indexes, how much of that were maybe because of refactoring or like basically how were you able to achieve like those optimizations? Okay, so the first thing, if you look at the image that I put here, um, if you look at the initial, oh, I mean, if you look at that image, the initial structure was just one server and the retrier. Then the second one is like there are multiple parts. So we are able to 10x because we're able to horizontally scale different parts. Initially, we could only scale convoy as a unit and we're scaling everything and each of them will be uh, maxing out. But now we can scale the worker that creates events. We can scale the worker that dispatches events. We can also scale the UI, the server itself, the HTTP server itself. And this server can be scaled. You can have 100 versions. You can have 100, and they are, they are all load balanced. So we can receive multiple events, store them. Then whenever we're ready, we can now dispatch. We can now dispatch them. And because we can scale them, 
you can skip them up. Um, you can receive more than. Now I say one thousand. I was saying one thousand because I'm trying to downplay it. But I was I tested it on like a, I tested it, I think on Wednesday, and it was able to do three thousand requests per second easily. But what I'm just going one thousand because I know personally I know someone who go and try it and say this is the easiest line. So yes, you can do one thousand easily. But it was able to get to theoretically it can get to three thousand requests per second. I mean, go theoretically can get to three k per second. But I've been, I've, been, I've been trying to like, as well, I've been trying to like push the limits. And when I reach, I mean, when, I think I, when I got to 3K, I just stopped because I was like, oh, more. did not send me a message. Let me go to the message. <laughs> so, yeah. I made the game. So, yeah. So, what, how we got there was there was no caching. Like I said before, there were no indexes. We didn't use indexes because we're not, we're, trying to, we're not trying to solve a problem that we did not have. So, but when we had the problem, we solved it, added indexes. There was no caching. We did not need caching because we we're not trying to be as fast as possible. We we're just trying to build a product that works. Now mm-hmm. we need to be as fast Makes as possible. Sense. So now we're adding caching. And with caching, with splitting up, like with um, splitting up um splitting up the workloads and allowing different people to do the workloads, it has been able to like um, streamline the process of or and even make it faster. Um to be honest, I've I'm, I've been I've been tracking my brain, thinking of how to make it faster. And the only way we've been able to come up with was to completely remove it to speak altogether. So I mean, what we are thinking of doing is that if you want to use convoy and you and you want to deploy yourself and you don't want to talk, you don't want your service to talk over HTTP, your your convoy instance can just pick events off of a DB. And like so that's the ingester thing we are talking about. Like that's part of the work it's going to be doing. It will just pick events of a DB and it will add them to, it will put them in Convoy and Convoy will just process. So that way, you will not be bound by the, you will not be bound by HTTP by limits, by HTTP limits. There's no, that latency for request response will be removed. <sighs> yeah, so. Okay. Wow. Um, cool. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. that's how, so yeah. Uh, th- thanks a lot. I, I mean, it's it's much clearer now. So the second question, sorry, was kind of more legal than technical. Okay. Because most of the projects you mentioned um, about their business models, Loki, um, Elasticsearch, they've had issues where um, people are not cool, sort of, with their licenses. So I was kind of thinking, what made you settle with MPL this time around, or like? Some of the things you considered, basically, that's my so last. We, I mean, we we followed. I mean, my so for me, Emmanuel and myself followed MongoDB's MongoDB and Redis's um story, real time, and we're like, oh my, this is not going to like, this, this must not happen to us. I mean, yeah, I followed it real time separately. Then I'd not I'd not even like started working with them. But then eventually, when like when 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 we finally met, I was not like ah. Are you sure this one, this thing that will happen to MongoDB will not happen to us? I mean, we're not that big, but hopefully we're that big. Mm-hmm. This might so, um, we are basically just using the same license that I'm using. And I hope that will come. I mean, this, as I said, you cannot catch, you cannot know that someone is running it until you catch them. So, and the only time, you, the only people you can catch are the really big guys. Like if Amazon takes your software and is running it, that's when you will know. But if some obscure guy somewhere, Picks it up and is running it. You will not know. 
if it changes the UI, you cannot know. If it's doing the same UI, that UI, that's when you will know. But if it changes the UI, you can't know. So it's just, you know, it's what it is. And all, I mean, on the flip side, there are legitimate people that will run your software and they will, they, will, they will get benefits from it. But we can't really, I mean, we can't say because some bad actors will exist. We should not now build it and make it open. I mean, we could also just close source the thing. There are companies, there are, we actually have a competitor in the US that is doing the same, they're running the same business model. And because of us, they open source their, their core. They were running closed source cloud, cloud only. And about three months ago, when we launched, or when we finally went public, they open sourced their core. But then their core is written in Rust. So really nobody can contribute to it. <laughs> oh, no, I, that's I know people that write Ross. I do like people that write Ross, but like that's it. So there's a market for Ross developers. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so thanks, Michael. Um, Nelson was the next person. Uh, yeah. Uh, can you guys hear the right? Yeah. Uh, you're a bit yeah. Yeah, uh, it's because I'm in a cab, but I hope you you'll be able to get uh, my questions. So first question is: Given that you guys are scaling and you're growing, how do you plan on handling downtime? Given that uh, your cloud customers are going to depend on your on you being reliable and being able to uh, dispatch the uh, the events that depend on. And the second question is around the fact that you have uh, a business model with uh, the ability to deploy it on one's infrastructure and using the cloud products. How do you handle the complexity of building a product for like a lot of customers on, on the cloud? Meanwhile, the, 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 the people who are going to use your uh, self-serve product, the one that is deployed on their own infrastructure, might not need that level of complexity because it's not the same level of scale. I don't know if you understand what I mean. Uh, the level of complexity in both cases might not be the same. So how do you handle that from the uh, development perspective? Okay. Um, for the first question, you first asked for how how do we guarantee that our products will be how do we guarantee uptime of our, for our cloud for our cloud um for our cloud customers? Is that right? Uh, yeah, and also if you have like strategies that you're going to put in place already in place, like mitigate uh, nice sort of stuff. Okay, so um, how will I answer this question? Now? Is the is the humming from you? Seriously, is the what? Is the humming? From oh, <laughs> I'm trying to. I don't. I said I know this is book, so I don't know. I beg um, you, stop us, Thanks. Um, how do I guarantee uptime? Man, to be honest, I don't even know how to answer that question because. Uh, Okay, um, we run on DO, our infra, our infra is on our infra is on Kubernetes, and we have a backup server just in case anything goes down. So we have a backup instance running in case anything goes down. Um, we are behind Cloudflare, so hopefully we don't get the worst. Um, and we run our ingester, or we run we run the guy that takes events separately from the guys that process like the guy that process events. So even if I mean if there's certain downtime, um, the I mean different components are running like separately. So each, yeah, each of the, like, one company can be down and the other the others will not be down. 
um, where we can the way we can get really hit most is if you can get access to our cluster. I mean, that one's social engineering. So, I mean, at that point, it is not a technology thing anymore. Um, that's the compliance thing. So, yeah, we are trying to get uh, we are trying to get compli- um, get compliance with SSC two and ISO two seven zero zero one. And yeah, to be honest, I just don't know how to answer that question. This sounds like a business interview. So I really don't know. I, I really don't know. You actually, no, you're asking a question, right? The stuff you're saying about Cloudflare kind of protecting you against like DDoS attacks. Yeah. You know, no, but I mean, Cloudflare is not really enough. If no, no, Cloudflare yeah, but then the really... other thing you said about you know, one, if one service is down, because now you're running like a microservice type thing, if yeah. one, one instance, if one is down, the rest will still work. The rest will so, yeah. still be there. That's another thing for sure. Um, then I guess like something else here is that you have like some observ- observability now, right? So, yeah, and they also a lot, so we can know when things are not. But the only yeah, thing well, we don't have is like the status page for our customers. So like we are still trying to figure out um what's like that's that's why I'm trying to like do the benchmarking. When I do the benchmarking, I can now set up a status page because it's from the output from the status from the benchmarking will give me inputs for my for the status page. Um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know if that answers. Those are good answers, yeah. I feel like those are good answers. I, I don't know if that answers, I don't know if that answers the question. Uh, Nelson, does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, kind of. Uh, I would say if I had to rephrase it, say, for example, I'm using Paystack to, like, um, accept payments, and I'm using your service, uh, your server, uh, your service to accept uh, incoming requests from Paystack, for example. Yeah. And say because of X Y Z reason, someday in the middle of the night, your 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 event receiver is down. So I'm mm-hmm. on your cloud product. Your event receiver is down. What happens then? Uh, how do you handle that such that the, uh, the your customer, that is me, doesn't lose transactions or uh, can? Well, the the question is here. What happens in that situation basically? Okay, if the receiver is down, I mean, Paystack has a they send the recent events for two days. So if we are down, eventually when we come back up, you will still get your you will still get you will still have to get like your events to be processed. If uh if the two days has passed, hmm, that's where the problem is. If the <laughs> two so days are, yeah, if the, if the two days has passed, that's where the problem is. So yeah. <laughs> Actually, I don't, have, I, I don't have an answer for that one. If the two days has passed, I don't have an answer for that one. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, continue, continue. No, no, the only thing is that, you know, some services, for example, they might be tried three to five times within the same day so over, like, the span of two or three hours. So that's why I was asking the question. But, uh, I mean, the answer is, uh, is I just wanted to know, like, what do you guys do now? And if it's something like that, it's just, like, out of course. Sorry, so, something I, I kind of also want to clarify here. Remember, like, this is, like, you know, Correct me if, if I'm interpreting this wrong. So yeah. the way that Convoy works, right, is there is an endpoint. There's a server up. So there's an endpoint that receives events. That endpoint mm-hmm. receives it and immediately writes it to a queue, right? Yeah. So is the question here, like, framed for if that, if the, like, that, that server is down, like, the, the server that receives? Because if... Yes, if, yes, yes. Exactly, because once the event gets to the queue, then I guess Convoy can like do some retrying internally to like yeah, you know, it does try... it does retry. Yeah, exactly. So if so... we don't even receive it at all, that's where that's where it's coming from. If we don't right. receive it at all, that's where the problem is. Ah, uh, okay. 
Yeah. Oh, interesting question. I, I think, I, yeah, I think we just have to rely on the provider maybe to, to resend. Yeah, at yeah. Point. I mean, yeah, well, I in a way, I, I would say that's where SLAs come in. So you have an SLA with a particular provider and they say, oh, we are guaranteeing you 99% of time. Or we are guaranteeing you nine fives. That's nine, nine, 9.9999. So, yeah. like, if when the SLA breaks, then someone has to pay for it, and there has to be some monetary, um, there has to be some monetary value. That I mean, basically, someone has to take the blame, and there will be a message that will go out to your customers saying, "Oh, this guy went down." I mean, if you take the, if you look at what is happening today with these guys, um, um, Atlassian, Atlassian has been down for over three weeks. Obviously, they will compensate their, they will compensate their customers, but it happens. Yeah, downtimes happen. So yeah. Right. Then going to your second question, um, um, how do we manage complexity between the OSS and the cloud? That is something we are still trying to figure out. I will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, I'm, so what we are trying to do is then we have we are I mean it's not really it's not how do I say that we we just fleshed it out um, beginning of last month, but we are we are going to have two separate. Currently, all the roadmaps are one, and we are going to have two separate roadmaps for both the cloud and the OSS. So OSS will have core features. We'll see how we we'll keep having support, but the cloud, the cloud will have like premium features. So you know the way um, Redis has the main Redis, and there are Redis modules. Redis modules are like plugins that you can add to your um, add to your standalone Redis that you deploy yourself. So if things like um, Redis has Redis Search. Redis has um, Ready JSON. Redis has um, Bloom um, Ready Bloom. That's Redis Bloom. That's for Bloom filters. So we are trying. We are going to do the same thing. So we have like different packages that you can just install in Convoy if you're running it on your own. But then they will be there by default on the cloud. Those and right. um, those those things are like um, if you want to like have priority queues. If you want to create priority queues for like certain customers. So we can guarantee we we'll have like SLAs for. Um, with, with certain customers and say we guarantee um, a set, we guarantee that your messages will stay or the total lifetime of an event in our system will be maybe one second or two seconds but then if you are paying like basic or whatever you would your the total lifetime of a message will not exceed English is very very crucial here will not exceed five minutes so you can be you'll be on a slow queue I mean it's just normal but then like uh, as I said it's not like we it's something we're trying to figure out and um when we do we do we will we, we, complicate it or we will we, we implement it it looks like shibami is on the call um, ah, mad, mad, mad. And, and his yeah mad <laughs> so um hi everyone so shibami is ceo of convoy and he is yeah he's he's joining us as a speaker so hi shibami how far hi 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 now on our workshop um, so I think, hi everybody. When I joined, I heard the question on reliability and hop time. So it was something I wanted to chime in on quickly. I can go, yeah? Ah, chime in, boss, chime in. I can go chime in. Who would chime in? But so, 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 so from what I've seen, right, there are like, there are like two other ways we can make Convoy better, right? And this is like stuff on the roadmap. Yeah, I think we're still very early, but there, like, if you look at how Shopify does webhooks today, Shopify enables customers to read events off like pops up, 
right? So it's possible for customers of Shopify to receive events not just from their HTTP endpoint, for, but also PopSub. So it's also possible for Convoy in the future to receive events with PopSub, right? So ingesting events into Convoy, do you, what we have today or what we built today is REST API. So we push your event to REST API. If you start doing volumes, one thing that we want to be able to support is you can drop it on the queue and Convoy can pick it up and read it and format it into a payload and push it out to the customers or to the endpoint. Then the third way is reading the changes directly from database. So I think this is something Paystack does internally already where they are able to have a service that reads like a transaction table, refines the payload and sends it out. So like that way, you can sort of guarantee more reliability and sort of like look at the diff of what you've read, you know, and what you've not sent out to like the outside world. I think like those two mechanisms are ways that can provide more reliability than the HTTP. But like that's yep. what I wanted to find you know. Yeah. Actually, paste that can team up because they use, they use the same thing. So, so that team up one is more like a cron job versus. Oh my god! Sorry, I think I muted everyone by mistake. That was a mistake. Um, please. Yes. Yeah, so, so I was saying that that the um the team up one is more like a cron job versus like streaming the changes from the team. Mm, yeah, but if you think about it, like the the event source is say the same, DB rather than HTTP. So, yeah, I mean, then the reliability in a way that way, reliability is baked in. You are not, you are only talking yep, okay yep, whenever yep, maybe yep. the network is down. If the network is down, then that's the infra problem. Not that um your servers are down or someone is DDoSing you. Yeah. Um. Cool. So. I think that, um, I, I, I guess, like, Nelson's question is answered. I'm not sure there's any other person that has a question. Please um, feel free to, like, raise your hand if you have a question. In the meantime, I'll just kind of go over, like, every, like I mean, what I remember that we've spoken about through the course of this conversation for people that joined, you know, late, later than we started. <laughs> um, so we, I guess we started with, like, a definition of... Um, what they so convoy is a webhook service and we start with like what the definition of webhook is so someone sent like a really cool um um url uh, sorry website url yeah and i i retweeted it on the system design page so i guess you can search for it um it's called like webhook.net or something and the conversation the the definition there is really cool so apis allow you to pull data from a server, like a service, right? And webhooks enable um, a service send data to you. And um, that's, I think that's a really cool definition. I've never really been able to define, <laughs> I just really, I just understood what a webhook was, but that definition is really helpful. And so if you think about it in terms of like Paystack or Flutterwave, for example, so I have like an, um, let's see, like I have a website that accepts payments and I need to send a request to like Paystack to process, you know, the payments. Um, 
there's like some downstream things that happen. So maybe Paystack needs to call a switch, like InterSwitch or I don't know, Nibs or something. So that's like a long running operation. It might take a while for that to get resolved. So um, we, like you send a request to Paystack, Paystack acknowledges that they received that request. So Paystack goes ahead and like um, processes that. And when they're done, um, they now send you later, they send you um, an event to tell you the status of that um, request that you initially made, right? So um, the endpoints they send this to, you need to give, so you need to give Paystack an endpoint, call, you call it like a callback URL or like a webhook URL or something. So you give Paystack that endpoint and Paystack sends the status of the, the transaction to that endpoint later to tell you like what's, you know, what the status is. Um, so we kind of give a definition of like webhooks to kind of st status, um, start the conversation. Um, and then we spoke about um, how Convoy works. So Convoy is kind of like man in the middle. So instead of Paystack, you know, sending um, endpoints directly to, sorry, events directly to an endpoint for a user, it's Paystack will send it to Convoy and Convoy will send it to, you know, the user. And Convoy like offers like a few benefits. So Convoy Convoy um offers some retrying retries. Um Convoy also has some security features like they sign the payload so that you know some malicious attacker wouldn't send you like events like try to resend an event that has been sent before. Um uh yeah, and so on and so forth. Then we also spoke about let's see, like Convoy's architecture. So I think we spoke about that in two parts. So the first part, we said that initially Convoy was a um, was a single service, and it had one entry point. So what would happen is, so there was a server called you call it a Convoy server that received. So this server like exposed some endpoints, um, and so like when a provider like a webhook provider sent like a webhook to Convoy, the Convoy server had endpoints that received that. Now, once the endpoint received the event, it would write it to a um, to a queue, to Redis, um, to Redis stream and Z sets. We'll just like abstract that and call it a queue. So it writes it to a queue. And used, the way that it wrote to a queue was using a library called TaskQueue. So TaskQueue was a library that could write you know, things to, to, to queues, so on and so forth. Um, and then we spoke about how like all of that was very, you know, that was good for like initial, um, initial developments. And, you know, that was kind of, um, uh, it, it didn't work like after some time or it didn't work well after some time because it could only handle um, a small number of requests per second. And as Convert got like more customers, you know, bigger customers, they needed to like, um, they needed to handle more requests per second. So there was this whole process of like revamping the architecture and this was in different phases. So one phase was improving, like adding indexes to DB queries. So like Convert at first didn't have in indexes on, on, the, on the queries. Um, and so the way they found the right columns to add indexes to was using MongoDB Atlas, which is I guess like a UI that MongoDB provides to analyze queries and to see like how they're performing. Um, another way that Convoy improved the way that they 
um, process request was to split the one monolith into multiple services. So instead of just a convoy server, um, they split it into convoy server, convoy worker, and convoy trial. So these were now like um, different uh, modules doing different things that could scale up independently. Um, so that was cool. Um, then convoy also like added observability at some point later on. Um, they didn't have that initially. And um, they added observability using um, Prometheus and Grafana. Um, what else? Let's see. What else is interesting in the in the conversation? Um, uh, I guess like most people that were here were already here, like when the questions were asked. So I think that was what we talked about before the questions. Um, so yeah. Um, I guess like one thing, like maybe like the last thing we we kind of handle before we go is, how does Convoy currently like handle deployments? Like so. How does the CI, CI CD pipeline work? So if I write code today and I push it and I merge it to you know the convert code base, how does that get deployed? Um, so anyone can take this, Raymond or Shibumi. Okay, um, deployed, maybe not. Built, yes. So we okay. don't do deployments automatically because we are OSS first. What we do is we ship binaries. So if you're, we have two, I mean, we have one main branch, which is main. Very underwhelming, I know. Main. So, um, and when we, when you merge a PR, nothing really happens. You just merge your PR. Like your tests are run, you do go vets, basically check um, if anything, we generate documentation, which is um, open, open API v3. So that way you can easily just take the, um, <clears throat> take the exports and put in your postman or insomnia or whatever that you're using. Um, or you can generate like SDKs out of this, but we already have SDKs. So what happens is um, test run, binaries, um, bin actually binary is not created until we release. So the way deployments are done is when we release, we generate different binaries for Windows, Linux, and um, Mac OS. Yeah, so then we also generate um, checksums that you can use to sign you can use to check the integrity of each of each binary. Um, we are still working on signing, so we'll be able to like sign. Um, so when we sign the when we sign the <coughs> the binaries, you can now um, use the you can use like um you can use like, I think GPG. You can use GPG to now check the to check the integrity of the binary. But today, what the way we deploy to our cloud is that we have like a current job that runs. Um, so we currently use Kubernetes, and um, there's and open source Helm charts that you can adopt. I mean, it's just you can just use the Helm chart and retrofit, and just you can just install the Helm charts and deploy. That's if you're using Kubernetes. If you're using Kubernetes, you can just use Docker. You can use the um, Docker Compose and deploy yourself. But today, what we do is that we have a current job on Kubernetes at that runs every, I think every two weeks. I think than checks because we don't really release every we don't release this 25th so there's no point deploying every time but then we always what, to be honest what we always do we always just trigger the current job ourselves so if we release code we trigger it ourselves or we just wait when the two weeks is done it just if it checks when it checks that if it checks that the same the version that is running the same version that is has been that is on the kidney it doesn't do anything if not it changes like it just updates to the next version but there's only staging that does that production does not update automatically Production is done manually, so that that way we are always we always try to be one release behind 
one major release or actually one minor release behind um <clears throat> oss so we can check all the errors or check everything before we deploy to oss but yeah we use the cron job so the cron job just um downloads some config from somewhere um installs the home charts and updates the home charts and that's how convoy is deployed to cloud but on the other on the flip side when we do releases um there's a github action that creates the binaries and those binaries can be installed and we use go releaser to release to apt yum um could you maybe please remind me of the other ones i know apt yum then ah, uh we release a windows raw binary an exe we release we also release on yeah, we release on brew too yeah release on brew so apt yum brew and the windows binary that you can download cool thank you um we i think like we've come to the end um are you able to take one more question from someone i think we just have one yeah last yeah, question. yeah okay cool so one last question i would close this thank you um hi charlie Uh, hi, Charlie. Hi, hi everyone. Uh, thank you for giving me the floor to speak. And um, I was just going to ask, like, um, for this convoy, um, do you have um, any any way to load balance the application? And if you're load balancing the application, are you using, like, the legacy systems, like the Oracle HTTP server or the Apache Tomcat? Or you're just using oh, from the cloud? We don't, offer, we don't offer load balancing, like, as a... Like it's not inbuilt, so balance is not inbuilt. So you will need to use what we use. We currently use Nginx. Nginx, okay. Um, <clears throat> that's what we use. Yeah, that's what we use. Yeah. Okay, and um, do use. they also like uh, with the Nginx and as the request flows from the load balancers to the various servers and components, do they also have like the um, let's say something like um, uh, I don't know how to put it, but in Oracle they call it like the web gates, uh, something that handles like authentication and authorization policies. Well, you. Yeah, you can configure that. I mean, that's a very... Um, hmm, okay, you can configure authentication on Nginx. Mm -hmm. You can also configure, like, how or the priority of requests. Like, there are different things you can configure on Nginx. And it doesn't really... I want to say it doesn't really matter, but you can use any... As long as the, the workloads behind the load balancer are running, I think you can use any load balancer. Okay. I don't think, yeah, you guys don't know about Okay, and my final question is um, for this convoy, do you have, um, how does it connect to the database? Is it like, um, do you create a, a, ah, yes. a connection pool? Yes. Yeah, we create the connection pool, but we are using MongoDB. MongoDB. We, are, we, yeah, we intend to support um, Postgres mm -hmm. in the next, maybe in the next two releases. Okay. So every release, is, every release is 25 days, that's one month, basically. So in the next release, you can see in like two months or three months time. Okay. So you uh, the yeah. underlying database is um, the MongoDB, and yes. Convoy is connecting to the MongoDB. So you have like um, I'm just trying to understand your system architecture. So Convoy has like a, a data source or something from Convoy that connects to the uh, MongoDB. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah, that was kind of like similar to my uh, to the architecture I'm familiar with. That's just why I was asking. Oh, yeah, it's fine. That's right. It's fine. Ah, I was in the bank too. Yeah, I know this. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Charlie. Um, oh, thank you. Michael. Hi, everyone. Hi, Ray. Um, I want to ask, when are you releasing for Chocolaty 
for Windows users? Yes, chocolate is, is, is we'll look at it maybe tomorrow. I will tell someone to look at it. Is the thing is there just to configure it? It's probably like one line, I swear. Oh, nice. It's probably like one. It's probably like one line. It's go release. So go release has some config that we can just do. But what we are doing, we are like running the, for the Windows release. We run it like a go command to release it manually. So we'll have to like configure from go from go release. But then we'll probably create okay. the security account. Okay. Yeah, we'll look at it. All right, thank you. Cool. Um, yeah, I feel like we should call it a day. Uh, yeah. We have to. We have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have two last questions. Though. I don't know if you're like up for questions. Ah, ask, 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 ask. All right, it? cool. One second. Let me accept. I'm not accepting any more after this one. Thank you. All right. Um. Well, the person that has an address, you know, memory address in there as the username is next. Oh, memory looking address. Share magic. Um, okay, so the next person is Nebe. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, you. <clears throat> yeah, so um, great presentation so far. Like, I really like what you guys are doing. Um, and best of luck with everything. So my question is. How do you prioritize what features to work on? Because, like, I see you're doing lots of good stuff and, like, there's so much potential. But, like, how do you determine what you want to work on next? Man, this is a very hard question. I swear. Shimobi, please answer this question. Because even if even we've got... <laughs> I don't know if Shimobi is on the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, it's quite difficult because like once you so one of the problems that we've run into very fast is if you are building OSS you sort of have multiple roadmaps that you don't realize if you do OSS and you do cloud right because if you think about like the OSS the contract we have with the OSS is any developer anywhere in the world really like so you know, like you can, if you are building a cloud service and you need to like move fast, you can just write rubbish and just ship and just, you know, scale up all your servers. Like it's a black box. Exactly. You know, what's happening here? <laughs> and then you can optimize as you go, right? So, but we have a contract with like developers to keep main stable, make it work on your local machine and make it work in your production system as well as our cloud. So it's really like moving between those two, two ends, to be honest. So like everyone mentioned, we have just, the way we work at the moment is we just have like one development cycle. So in that development cycle, we just ask ourselves like, okay, what's, what's super important? Is production breaking on the cloud? Customers that we support, do they need our help? If they need our help, then we prioritize that. Else, we go back to the OSS and we're like, okay, we need to continue making this guy ridiculously good. That to, like, like to the quality we want, you know, like it's like building Redis for, for webhooks, you know? So, um, when production for the customers that we support in our cloud is like okay and people are not crying because we had some downtime like early in the year you know then we prioritize our os and we continue to evolve that guy one of the things that is currently priority is if you think about it it's the same infrastructure to receive events to publish it right so we are trying to bring into the OSS a way for consumers. For example, if Paystack does not deploy webhooks or any of your favorite API providers that fail often, 
it's like a coffee loaf and I'm not trying that shit. Um, but if any of your providers, wherever it is that feels often, you can also use Convoy to receive the event. Something like a few days ago is Convoy in Jester. <laughs> you know, so that's one of the things that we are prioritizing in the OSS. But is we're just moving beyond between the two ends, really. Um, and if we have stuff that we think that can benefit the OSS, I, we just create GitHub issues. Anybody with Fitakulam, Fitakulam, really. <laughs> I don't know if I answered that question. Um, yeah, I think you did. So if I understand correctly, it sounds like you often try to prioritize making sure you meet your SLA goals because like you're supporting real customers. Mm -hmm. And as much as you like to like add cool new features, you don't want to like break people's stuff. Oh, so the our cloud. Don't... So to also mention, our cloud is beta, right? Like our cloud is okay. really beta. That's that's the mindset to think about it. So the priority against the OSS and making it production stable for users anywhere in the world. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. So we only just have a sense of responsibility that people that use us in the cloud, right, to just take care of them and ensure their apps are not breaking. But like the OSS is still like super priority. So in, that, so in oh, okay. that sense, so what you would think, what the takeaway is that for us, like the revenue is not the priority. The abstraction for Convoy is the priority. And I'm guessing that will be somewhat driven by like the demand from, I guess your customers when you eventually starts, when you move beyond beta for the cloud one. Yeah, features. So features from customers today, most of the features from customers today go into the OSS. So what we deploy, so the other way to think about it again is that, not even the other way, like today, what we currently run in our cloud is the same thing in the OSS. Like there's no hidden feature today. I mean, we've not gotten to that point yet. So it's the same thing. Yeah. The only difference is some of these guys don't want to run the software. They rather us provide it as a service, but it's the same binary. Interesting. Man, I love what you guys are doing. I hope everything works out and you guys eventually yeah, all this prayer point eh, she? <laughs> I'm your <laughs> guest. Well, no, I you I mean, should back this prayer point with PR. I like what you guys are doing. With PR. I'll be back yeah. the prayer point with PR. <laughs> well, unfortunately not right now, but like thanks. Anyway, thanks. Let me not take much of your guys' time. Thanks for letting me ask the question. Thanks for everything. All right. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Super me. Uh, just one last thing, just one last thing, not another real question. Uh, did I get right that you're trying to turn, uh, say, for example, long polling into like webhook events for your customers? Uh, hmm. We can so, 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 it's okay, it's in two ways, right? Let me, let me say it's in two ways, right? First, we want, so I'm guessing, or I'm assuming you are talking about how we want to help consumers receive events, right? Yeah, say for example, we're seven thousand of our webhooks and you first like long pull uh, an endpoint in order, to get, in order to get a data you want. Uh, I'm imagining that for example, Convoy could like do something to like turn the long pulling into a webhook event of sorts. So I was wondering, I, I, I heard that you mentioned something similar, so I was just wondering if that's on your roadmap. Yeah, since- Because that would be very awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 we considered it right so when i mean helping consumers receive webhooks right like as a problem is there are two parts to it the first is one of the things you want to be able to do if you are building a webhook system is replayability in the event that paystack sends you an event right and 
perhaps your system is down or the network was flaky or whatever whatever happens, right? You want a situation where you can easily look at the UI, replay the events to your system so that your the actions can kick in. And if it's like important, the whole well and good, everything will work fine. You get. Um, you want that power of replayability without contacting Facebook that I think at the event. You also want the power to like go to that UI and like just search, like just figure out what went wrong really and debug. So the first part of helping consumers is Convoy should be able to receive events. So when you supply a URL to Paystack, that URL should be eating Convoy first. So you can have the log of events rather than building it yourself. Like what most people do today is they go to their logs to search, oh, the Paystack sent this event, what, were, what went wrong, or save it in the DB, something like that. So the first point of helping consumers is can Convoy provide a URL that I can supply to Paystack such that once the event eats that URL, it goes into Convoy and I have that peace of mind to get. Now, that's what the Convoy Ingest is all about. I don't know if that link was shared, but you can check the repository. There's something called a serverless function. It's an HTTP function, really. It will receive the event. Once it receives the event from Paystack, it will acknowledge it and throw it onto PopSoul so that you have some reliability. And then to try its best to push that event from PopSoul to Convoy. And once it gets to Convoy, you sort of have peace of mind because even if your system is messed up or whatever, you can always replay it from the dashboard. Like You don't need to go to logs or anything. That's the first point of receiving for customers. The second point is what you're talking about, which is long pulling. Uh, it's something we considered, and I'm sorry, like, I'm down for it, but it's going to be tricky, but yeah, it's something we consider. For example, a good example is Spotify, right? If you look at Spotify, it's weird. Today, Spotify does not provide webbooks. I think they provide it for some of their large customers. So in the Spotify developer community, it's sort of a thing. Like, they have this standard of long pulling, like, generally like they'll teach you oh, this is the best practice to long post spotify so we sort of considered long polling i don't know i don't know see it's all the things of post anybody can do it but i really don't know it's something i would like to try but for today we are trying to like figure out how convoy can provide you a url so you can you don't have to expose your system expose convoy alone to the outside world to flutter with to pay stock to mono to team out to whoever to modify and just get everything inside convoy and then do the finals to your systems so so a quick one right one other like good thing about it is if you check stripe for example you can do something called subscriptions with stripe such that you can tell stripe that given this subset of events send it to this url and given this subset of events send it to url but if you're integrated like paystack for example you just give them one url right and they will send everything to that guy and you do the fan out from there so that's like one of the advantages of just putting convoy in the middle, right? So you can deploy a convoy server, you know, and then deploy the ingester. And then once the event gets to convoy, ingester, it sends it to the main convoy. And then that guy can fan out to the world, depending on how many URLs you have. Uh, so that's the two ways you can receive for consumers, long pulling and like ingesting. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thanks, um, Shibumi. Thanks, Raymond. Thanks all the people that, you know, the speakers that ask questions. And thank you to everyone that, you know, joined to listen. This was a, a fun conversation. Um, and, you know, we look forward to the one next month. So thanks, everyone. Um, I'm going to end the call now. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Rayo. Bye. Thank you.